Aaron here. Hey guys, this week everybody is on vacation scattered around the globe. So instead of a normal podcast, we're going to have Long Jump where we speak about Andre Tarkovsky's 1979 film Stalker. It's definitely pretty spoilerific. So if you haven't seen the film, uh, check it out first. I hope you enjoy. We'll be back in two weeks. like the cutoff point for me is like two and a half hours mm. like anything beyond two and a half hours of podcasting is like it's over yeah <laughs> you know it's so what about, over it, what about more than two and a half hours of movie with really long slow shots what about two hours and 44 john minutes? dealman by oh. chantal ackerman the sight and sound greatest film of all time <laughs> No, it's Stalker. What am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are we here to talk about today? Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you for welcoming me to the, the zone, the grump, the jump crouch zone. That's right. We got our, our fucking Stalker gear on. We're going to fucking lurk into the zone, get some artifacts, find the Wish Granter. These are all things we're definitely going to do today. Yes. Oren's like, just like, what? What the fuck is Aaron talking about? Um, I mean, isn't that what this movie is? Like, I'll, I'll set it up. This is Stalker by Tarkovsky, right? This is like one of the ultimate, I am going to smoke weed and watch this movie Ooh, and not know what's going on. I don't know if I'd smoke like, weed and is... watch this movie. So I, I, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. It was, I don't know how I felt about it, but anyway, it's like the ultimate movie that has been perplexing audiences and critics for years. Cause they're like, who is this character? What is going on? What is the zone? Like, this is the ultimate one of those movies. And I think because of that, it has a lasting cultural impact. It is the ultimate, like it's, it's slow cinema, but it's also very ambiguous and it could be read so many different ways. And that's why it's fascinating and also why it's frustrated a lot of people, but also engaged them. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Okay. So yes. good though. Do we like it? Is it good? I saw uh, Drew dropped a five star rating for it on Letterboxd oh, this wow. morning. So I'm assuming it's good this morning. Uh, I, I mean, te- technically it was this morning, I guess it was probably like 1 a.m. I mean, yeah. it's no Top Gun Maverick, but, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want to go, like, if we want to ver- merge this in with also, like, our personal history with the movie. I, so, I've had a few days off lately, and, like, uh, yeah. you know, I floated the idea of doing this Docker podcast halfway for selfish reasons because, um, you know, every year I usually start out with, like, I want to have, I just have, like, some film goals of stuff I want to do and watching through all of Tarkovsky's uh, filmography was one of the things I wanted to do. So it's like, Hey, let's, let's do a stalker podcast and that'll give me an excuse to just watch through all of his 
films, which I was wanting to do by the time we recorded this. I am ashamed to say I did not quite make it. I got... I have now watched everything except for uh, Mirror and his last film, The Sacrifice. So I almost got there. But I got to about... I've actually watched the first about 15 minutes of Mirror, and then I got to that last night at around, I don't know, 10 or something. I realized, hmm, if I want to have enough time to watch Stalker also and have enough energy to make sure I get through it and can fully pay attention, I should probably just switch to that. But... Um, Previously, I had not watched any Tarkovsky until last year. I watched Stalker for the first time, and I really liked it. Uh, and then earlier this year, I watched Nostalgia, because uh, they were covering it on one of the Waypoint podcasts, and I also really liked that, and I was like, this Tarkovsky fellow, I gotta I gotta give more of these a try. Uh, so mm-hmm. now, in the last three days, I have watched uh, all his, well, his three short student films, Ivan's Childhood, Andre Rublev, Solaris, and Stalker. Uh, so I have been seeped in the the world of Tarkovsky. Damn, that's a project, man. I am uh, I'm I'm inspired to uh, to catch up a little bit. They're all. I mean, they're all good. I would recommend all the <laughs> ones I've seen. I've liked. Weirdly enough, I would say my least favorite out of all of them is Solaris. And hmm. I, I might get into it slightly in a, a little bit because it's almost like. Um... So I also rewatched uh, Blue Velvet recently and uh, mm. another shameful confession. I've never really been much of a Lynch guy. The only like Lynch film I really like is Firewalk With Me. Um, mm. And I kind of feel the same way about Blue Velvet now that I, I feel about Solaris and that like. Uh, Blue Velvet does a lot of the things that Fire Walk With Me does, just worse, and like it just kind of feels mm-hmm. like a rough draft for Fire Walk With Me, because I think that movie just does all that stuff, but way better. And I kind of feel the same way about Stalker and Solaris, and that it kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, like Solaris, I got to the end of it, and I just like, it just was not working for me. It's just like, this is just like three dudes waffling about talking about philosophy. And I was like, well, you could also, that literally could just be Stalker too, but right due to various reasons a stalker works for me oh so much better than solaris hmm. all right uh or what was your history with this this film so i was alluding to this earlier but um the first time i saw stalker was uh in mexico in a theater i brought a few of my friends to see Ooh, it in a theater and that's also, awesome uh, in a theater um I was with my ex too. Um, you know, we were dating at the time, but uh, uh, I were like, "Oh, like we should uh, all smoke weed and go see this movie, and it's gonna be awesome." And uh, everyone fell asleep except for me. <laughs> I was the only one awake for the whole time. And uh, by the time I got to the end of the movie, I was like, "That was, that was interesting. That was a trip. I don't know what was going on. I don't know who anybody is." Uh, I don't know what the zone is, but it was interesting. Uh, so I, but I did rewatch it um, over Christmas break, like so a few months ago, and I also, or gosh, six months ago now. Oh my gosh, time is flying. And then I also watched Mirror right after that, and I loved them both. Believe it or not, I think I like Mirror more just because I love the memory play of Mirror. Mirror is like kind of what Terrence Malick has been doing 
but I think Mira is the original and arguably better version of what Malik does. Like there's like a lot of ambiguity, like it's trying to access like how memory play works and like having a lot of free association imagery. And I thought it was really engaging, but, um, but I love, I loved stalker more the second time I watched it because I feel like I was able to sit with the ambiguity of it more and the slowness of it more and just kind of get absorbed by it. Cause I think the first time I saw it, I was expect like as an American viewer, expecting more convention, something more conventional, something more supernatural, but it's actually very not that. Like it, it's it's very philosophical, and uh, it's a lot of its mystery is comes from like you don't really know what this location is, you don't really know what's going on. Um, but I think it's a really interesting movie. But I also think it's so interesting that this movie has become such a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Considering it is this slow, ambiguous movie that's influenced video games, it's influenced like a lot of filmmakers, like Robert Eggers is influenced by Tarkovsky, like uh, a lot of famous filmmakers today, especially in the A24 crowd. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I came to this game through, or this game, sorry, this movie through, I should say, through the video game Stalker, which is which is one of my you know like top five favorite. Uh, pieces of uh, video game work, but it, it's influenced both by the book and the movie. And so this movie is based after a book called Roadside Picnic, which was written in the 60s or the se- early 70s, I think. Um, and uh, each pe- each one of these properties kind of tells the same basic story of a stalker going into the zone. But in, in the game and in the book, the stalker's going with the intention of like, meeting the room or the wish grantor as it's called uh and and in the film it's much more about he's like this guide and this kind of faith thing anyway the first time i saw the movie i watched the dvd watched it on kind of a small screen and i don't think the full effect was completely like i enjoyed it but like i think i i couldn't quite make out a lot of the details and i watched it again this week on a really big screen and the blu-ray and it was a really pristine like the transfer and like a lot more of the details were evident to me that just were just kind of macro blocks on the DVD. <laughs> so uh, it, it was uh, it was an even better experience, even though I did really enjoy it the first time I watched it. Um, it's one of those movies that like I could not necessarily recommend it to everybody. I, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but like like it's it's because it's so slow. And like I saw there was a salon article. It was they called it Tarkovsky's dull masterpiece. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it's it's not in a bad way, but like I guess even there's a quote here from Tarkovsky saying the film needs to be slower and duller at the start so that the viewers who walked in to the wrong theater have time to leave before the main action starts. I don't know when the main action <laughs> yeah. exactly starts, but um, I mean it. Like, well, it's fast. If, if anything, it's oh, the most action action packed at the beginning when they're trying to break into the zone. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, it's a full like set piece. Yeah, well, and I saw like uh, I saw we posted that in the show notes, so I had seen that before I rewatched the movie, and then I looked at the full Wikipedia article. I think that is also somewhat um, him being a, a little cheeky because I think it's yeah. in response to like the uh, the studio producers or whatever being like it needs to have more action in mm-hmm. it, uh, and uh, Tarkovsky not one for bowing to what the audience wants yeah it's it's interesting too because i'm kind of coming from someone who loves like david lynch and loves david cronenberg like i'm all about the davids and i love how explicitly weird they can be 
with mm-hmm. um, the visuals and with like the character's perception of reality. That kind of going into this, and not like a lot of that really happens, like like explicitly. Like it really comes from just kind of a lack of narrative information, and also just from the location and how weird the location is and like what it could mean. And I thought that was interesting. I think the only like explicitly supernatural thing happens when it shifts to color, but also at the end of the movie with the uh, girl and the uh, mm-hmm. you know, telekinesis or whatever. I think those are the only explicitly like supernatural stuff you see. I could be wrong. No, yeah. Um, Cause I was even definitely thinking about that this time of like, um, like even say like the setting, but even like the setting is like, I mean, I don't, I don't, this is not my interpretation. I don't, I would be surprised if this was anyone. I don't think this is what you're necessarily supposed to take away, but you could like, we don't see anything supernatural. We don't even necessarily know that the zone is anything supernatural about it. Uh, Other than we, we see these people's reaction and they are obviously very spooked by it. But like, you know, I don't know. I remember being like, being a kid and being with like a group of people and something like one person gets scared and then suddenly everyone is scared even if it's something you would normally by yourself not be scared of so like mm-hmm. you know yeah like um but i think that's a interesting uh you know interesting portrayal because uh well okay so uh aaron have you read roadside picnic i have yeah okay so like as i have not read it i th- i think is it true that there are actual like supernatural things that happen in the book right yeah so let me give a quick a quick uh you know bird's eye view of roadside picnic basically takes place after it's it's like the the idea of the roadside picnic is that like aliens stopped on earth for basically a roadside picnic they just you know pit stop on earth and they left a bunch of trash on the ground and that trash has been like confounding scientists and humanity for like i want to say in the in the book it's like 30 40 years or something maybe longer um and there's multiple zones of exclusion where stalkers go in and out to retrieve artifacts, which are just basically pieces of alien trash, and try to figure out what it means and how. To, like, so it's not like supernatural as so much as it's like literally science fiction technological. Like it's you know. Um, and then there's there's a there's a thing in the center of the zone, right? The the wish granter in the books, in the game, and and the room in the uh, movie that is supposed to grant your, your deepest wish, right? Not necessarily your most overt or, you know, top of your mind wish, but your, what your subconscious darkest desire is will come true. Right. And that's like, you know, not in, like I said, the, the movie takes any bit of supernatural, anything out of it other than, um, other than monkey, although then again, yeah. no, because the the stalkers' children. This happens both in the books and in the movie. The stalkers' children suffer various types of deformities. Um, in the book, his daughter has like hair all over her body. In the movie, her legs don't work. I guess which which could or could not be supernatural, right. but like that set of the stalkers is their children will have problems. Well, because that's the thing. Like you know, that's why the reveal at the end I think is so interesting. It works is because it is showing that like. Again, like, I think you are supposed to be going along for the ride throughout that you are thinking, like, there is, like, there is real danger. They go into the meat grinder, something real bad mm-hmm. could happen. Um, but I yeah. do think it's still as just uh, of the formal part of the filmmaking. It is interesting that, like, the 
at the very end is the re- it's almost it's almost like a marvel movie like post credit scene or something like i'm like <laughs> yeah. uh, she's actually she's gonna be stalker to monkey's origin yeah <laughs> oh my god stark stalker extended universe yeah. <laughs> the scu mm. oh my gosh i like well, it's kind of you guys are bringing up some really interesting points about the movie, and I, you know, I'm kind of a Tarkovsky casual. I'm not gonna lie. I've seen Mirror. I really loved Mirror. I've seen Stalker. I've seen Andre Rublev. I've seen Solaris, and I kind of like to have stopped there. But having seen those four movies, one thing I notice with Tarkovsky is that he seems like he's really interested in kind of stripping out a lot of the conventions that you see in Hollywood films to kind of make you feel unease with what you're watching or like kind of like different sensations that you would feel like watching a more conventional movie. It's like, what happens if the character motivations aren't clear? What happens if the setting isn't clear? What happens if you don't have like these major dramatic plot reversals? Like what, like, and you, what happens when you focus on the textures of a landscape or like the textures of a room, like, these are all kind of things that make him really distinctive and it kind of gives his movies like this really hypnotic quality where like after I finished watching them, I'm like, I'm not sure what I watched and I don't really know how to describe it, but I did feel something. So like I, and that's kind of where I land. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Cause you even brought up like kind of at the beginning about like the ambiguous nature of it and how it's known as kind of like one of these big, like ambiguous art films. Whereas I mean, obviously, again, there's like, I kind of said there there is some like built-in ambiguous nature of like the zone and whether it's actually harmful or whatever and stuff like that. But like, I don't. I mean, as someone who's put in a lot of time in the last couple of days watching his, a lot of his filmography, I actually think this is one of the most like straightforward of his movies, which is why I <laughs> like it so much. Um, mm-hmm. Like, because I, w- I kept thinking about, like, this a lot as I was watching all of his films of, like, you are, like, you're totally right, Orin, that, like, there is, he makes, a, he has a lot of films where, like, I, the charitable way to say it is, like, oh, you have to really watch it a second time or a third time to really get it all. But there are also mm-hmm. a lot of instances where it's, like, I, I think people mean that in like in a like it's so deep and you need to really like consider it. Mm. But it also there's a lot of stuff even in like his short films where it's just like oh okay well there's like I I like understand in retrospect like something happens in a scene the next scene through context I understand what happened in the last scene and you know I I think that's a choice um, but like. A lot of times, I don't know, like, if you just told me what happened before in the previous scene, I then would have understood that scene in it. And personally, for me, I don't think anything would have been lost. So I think there's a lot of stuff, especially in his early filmography, where the ambiguity feels a little more forced, in my opinion. Uh, Versus here, like, I think... Like, again, this is kind of where I come back to the, like, Solaris kind of feeling like a rough draft for Stalker. Stalker feels like, for me, like, really the culmination of, like, he's really fine-tuned. And part of it is, you know, I'm sure just taste of whatever. It just, he's he's fine-tuned in a way that works for me in a really good way, right? Where, like, he's really hitting all the notes on 
what to leave out and what to include. And um, like I said, yeah, I think he's just really, he's really hitting on all cylinders with this one on how, how he's threading the needle on the ambiguity. You, sorry to, I just want to jump in one more time, Aaron. You like brought up like such an interesting point, Drew, about, about how people are supposed to respond to his movies. Um, and especially like, yeah, like you have to watch it like three or four times to really like figure it out. But um, like even like watching Mirror, um, I think I think he, I think I think he's not really interested in people figuring out the movie. Yeah, I think he wants you to just watch it and engage with a memory play, and like you're not sure like what the memories are supposed to mean, but he's trying to make you feel a certain way, like as if you're like almost like dreaming and you're having reflections of your childhood, you're having reflections of your future of. Uh, of a traumatic thing that happened to you of, of your nation's history, whatever, like he's trying to tap into that feeling of a collective memory. And I think with stalker, it is like kind of that same philosophy where it's not even something that you're supposed to figure out. It's kind of something you're just supposed to like engage in and have it like kind of wash over you. Um, like That's... he's not like Christopher Nolan where it's like, is this reality? Is this a dream? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, we have a tendency to make everything a puzzle box. Um, because you know, there's there's been like now like fifteen to twenty years of like explainer articles and like culture around everything's a puzzle box. Let's figure it out. Um, right. But if I try to make Stalker into a puzzle box, I just I, <laughs> it's like I don't have it. It's like a puzzle with like I'm missing half the pieces or something. It's like it's it's so for me just like there's a, like three puzzles mood. put together. Like you yeah, don't have, yeah, you have all the pieces, but from three different puzzles. Totally, totally. Like I, it's it's just like. I couldn't even, I, I, I think Tarkovsky has ideas that he's expressing, but I also think I'm so divorced from his, uh, time and place that it's really hard for me to understand them. Like, cause, cause people like the first time I watched this movie, it did not occur to me really at all, despite some, I guess, overt pieces that this, that this is about faith and religion. Like maybe that's just not where my head was at, but like, I think a big part of this movie is about, you know, faith and religion, at least from Tarkovsky's perspective. But like, I see sort of like environmental anxieties and, um, personal, personal anxieties and like struggling with the world. I don't know. I get like a very different message than maybe what was intended. Yeah. Like, um, well, like a lot. Oh yeah. God. Well, that's the thing about a lot of like, so I like completely agree with what both of you are saying. It was even thinking like watching this time is like, fuck, I'm going to like, because I really had the thought at the end of the movie this time is like, because I love the movie, obviously. I don't have any like grand interpretation of what like there's just like there's ideas that come along that the movie brings up that I, I think about and I enjoy thinking about them. Um, but I don't have any grand like theory or like treatise on what mm -hmm. I think Stalker is capital A about. I think Tarkovsky had things in mind that he's very specifically and has a very specific interpretation. But I think this is like the thing with a lot of art house films of like people feel and like honestly kind of annoys me a lot of by a lot of like art house crowds is people feel the need to like no, I have the one. I've figured it out. I have the one interpretation when it is very specifically meant to be like everyone has their own interpretation. And sometimes that can be, I mean, like everyone, we all have our own interpretation of Stalker and I think we have a good conversation, but it can be frustrating when some people like to come in kicking the door down like, no, I actually have the one interpretation and I'm right and you all are wrong. 
Um, yeah. But like this time, I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna like have to go on this podcast and be like, this is the most like trite like." way of talking about stalker but it is what i feel is like the movie is like going into the zone it is it is tarkovsky taking you into a trip of the zone and you are like he presents you with these kind of different philosophical conversations between these three people and you are meant to just kind of ponder it and take from it what you will Mm mm-hmm what if we just all realized it was actually just based on a shrooms trip? We just all took shrooms. This is what happened. <laughs> no. But, but like, no, that's like the thing, though, like watching this movie. I, I think that he is kind of trying to evoke like just these really universal human emotions of like, you're kind of just like this schmo trying to tap into this forbidden knowledge or like this knowledge that like will help you in your life or covet something and he's like kind of stripping away so many of these narrative trappings where it's really just about that experience and then he has all of this like industrial decay and like kind of mixed with nature and it's like he's not trying to comment on something specifically he's just trying to evoke these like general feelings as you're watching this movie and i know that sounds trite and lame but i think that is kind of what he's going for i mean he even said um, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but when, when he was talking about uh, when he saw 2001: Space Odyssey, like he made like Solaris after that, and he was like, "Yeah, like what 2001 was missing was the emotion. Like I really wanted to like tap into the kind of he- like what people are actually feeling in this world, and not focus on all this other stuff. And that's like, you know, we have our opinions on 2001: Space Odyssey, but I think just kind of thinking about where his head is at and what he's trying to extract, I think that informs how he made Stalker. And- the choices he made he's also like specifically like he another thing i've noticed that he does a lot and like at least in ivan's childhood andre rublev solaris and stalker he really likes having giving like different perspectives like he has and all of those he has three characters all with their very distinct personalities and views and perspectives on the thing that is happening or things that are happening in the movie uh, you know, and Stalker is kind of the most arch version of that, of, you know, the Stalker, the writer, and the professor. I think are the, all the most, like, the most well-defined version. This is another reason why I think, like, this is in some ways kind of his most straightforward movie of his that I've seen, because there is the most, like, that's another frustration point with Solaris of, like, the three people I just didn't find very interesting in that one, and their ideas and philosophies that they're espousing kind of banal and uninteresting and just kind of wishy-washy versus here i think these three main characters are so well defined and so like bounce off each other in such a really interesting and engaging way uh that it's it's one of the many things that really pulls me into the movie i just realized maybe uh like Tarkovsky just really liked the brothers Karamazov because I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of like the three brothers. Uh, from, yeah. It's like Dostoevsky. Uh, uh, hmm. I don't know. Like, do you guys have some favorite shots from this film? Like shots that you that bring out? Oh uh, well, the the classic like mini sand dunes or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and the you know what I'm talking about like you see that thumbnail everywhere, but I love that shot because it just seems. It's just it's 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 like like again it's it's like one of those things where 
it's like realism or naturalism, but like you would never see that in real life. Like it's a weird. What is that even supposed to be? I've never (laughs) like that's exactly what I'm thinking when I'm looking at it. It's like, what is that supposed to be? Um, Yeah, that's that would that's the first shot that came to mind. Um, Yeah. Honestly, so like. So like um, I think it, you know we were talking at the very beginning how it's like it has I forget what the actual numbers are but it has like you know only like a shockingly low amount of shots and, and like cuts in the movie and it's like the average take is like over a minute long, mm-hmm. um, but like I don't feel that at all when I watch this uh, and uh, because like and it's like immediately engaging like I really love the first forty minutes like there's just that alone is filled with so many shots um before they actually even make it to the zone and that's why i find like this like the first 40 minutes for me flies by uh both times i've watched it and it's like immediately like grabs me every time because there's just so many like the just the like sepia like color wash of everything and just like you know, obviously, Tarkovsky also really likes playing with color, which he does, again, and I think his most obvious way in this one. But, like, just the way, like, the city just... It looks like they live in hell. They just, It mm-hmm. looks awful, yeah. awful, uh, and it's supposed to, but in, like, the most, like, like, really engaging way that draws you in. And it's, like, obviously, like, it's already in, like... Uh, I don't know if it's actual four by three or just a rate a very squared off ratio of film stock that is close to four by three but it's already like squared in and he's also like constantly like framing people in door frames with like walls pushing in on them to make them you know feel trapped at everything um but i feel i feel like every i've only watched the movie twice but i feel like the first 40 minutes or so it just like burned into my brain of like so many of the shots of the 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 bar that they meet at all the different like mm-hmm. bu- dilapidated buildings they hide in to you know chase after the train and everything it's just, it's all I, I i really love i love a lot of everything throughout the movie but i really love the first 40 minutes especially all the shot compositions oh yeah uh, i love that i don't know if it's the opening sh- it's not the opening shot because the opening shot's the bar but like the shot of them in bed mm-hmm. where it kind of pans uh and the is wet why are the floors wet does somebody explain this apparently this is a broader tarkovsky thing they don't understand the wet floors make me a little anxious but but they give it a cool look um but yeah that shot where it just pans across the family sleeping in the bed and then you see the stalkers like awake and he's trying to sneak out i I really love that moment i I, i'm I'm always like kind of curious about like how he uses like water and stuff in his movies because he does he does it a lot like there's a lot of scenes of like characters like basically rolling around in puddles and stuff mm-hmm. in this movie and you see you see like a lot of that imagery in many of his other films like a lot of rain and whatever um i i feel like i should probably look more into that as to like what motivates him to do that but as a viewer it, it gives his films like kind of like an interesting texture where like everything is just kind of like the frame is constantly in motion there's not like a stillness to it like there's like a lot of like richness to it and then it kind of contributes to like this theme of like decay but also like discomfort that's how i feel as a viewer yeah oh definitely uh worth noting tarkovsky had actually filmed most of the movie half the movie and due to there's there's sort of conflicting explanations here half of what he shot was lost and unusable. So he had to go back and reshoot it. 
And so as uh, Drew was mentioning, there's like different film stocks, right? At the beginning of the movie, Sepia. Then it does this Wizard of Oz jump when they go into the zone and suddenly the world comes alive with color. And, and then it kind of switches back and forth um, depending on what's happening. Yes, yes, hear that? My son is uh, he's making some noise, but maybe you don't hear that. Uh, uh, I hear it a little bit. Okay. I think it adds like a lot of uh, character to this podcast because yeah. it's like it's like you're in the zone. I'm the in the zone. zone the monkey's out there making noise. You have your own monkey. Mm-hmm. We actually call him uh, Gopik, which is his, he's uh, he's half Armenian. It's Armenian for monkey. So uh, my wife's like, oh, that's just like the the kid in Roadside Picnic because she had read the book, and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, but yeah, uh, how crazy is it that he like shot half the movie and then apparently like radically changed his, his opinion. Like the script was completely changed. He changed the character of the stalker. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things about the making of this movie that I'm like, Oh man. It seemed yeah. like how true are all of it? Like, okay. So real quick, we can make a quick detour of like, I'm sure for a lot of people, so I think I think uh, although I never I've never played Stalker the video game I think that is like the first thing I actually heard of Stalker related, um, just yeah. based on a time like that came out. When did it come out, Aaron? Two thousand seven. Yeah, so let's like when I'm like probably I'm, even though I didn't play it again, like at least I'm plugged in of like I would have heard about Stalker before I heard about Stalker the movie. Um, and like but then like the first thing I think I ever remember hearing about Stalker the movie is like oh yeah I killed a bunch of people like. Um, right which which also like i kind of thought like um i think because of the video game i was like oh they must i just assumed like they must have like um shot in like some like nuclear disaster zone or something like they went to chernobyl or something it's like oh and chernobyl actually happened like whatever so like years after they shot the movie and everything and it's just like and it's like i mean I mean, it very well could have been, but I've also seen like, well, maybe it actually didn't kill because it's just like the theory is like they shot in a lot of places where there were like uh, in rivers, and everything where there was runoff from like chemical plants, like poisonous chemicals being like flushed right. into the river. Um, I don't think there's ever like literally been like a documented proof of like this is what killed a bunch of people for the movie. But also it is it would be quite a coincidence. So, the amount of people that did die that worked on it. from Yeah. A cause yeah it's worth noting that tarkovsky his wife uh several of the main actors were all dead within a decade and yeah as you said they filmed in um uh estonia and they filmed in a rundown electric power plant but they filmed up or downstream from a chemical plant that was just dumping stuff toxic chemicals into the water and they spent a lot of time rolling around in the water Apparently the, the final scene where you see uh, the stalker walking with his family and you can see a nuclear power plant in the distance and it looks like it's snowing is actually just like stuff from the chemical plant. There's a lot of people who, who say <laughs> that like that, that worked on this production think that that's what kind of led to the death of many of these people. But there is no real way to prove it, right? Like how are you right. going to go back and like scientifically test that? So yeah. We got to dig Tarkovsky up. We got to put it into this. <laughs> How much lead is in the bones? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's it's it's uh it's it's kind of a tragedy if if that's true, and it seems like it very likely is. Or not, not even kind of a tragedy, but yeah. Well, it, it's funny too because whenever I think of Tarkovsky, like or like not whenever, but like when I initially started thinking about Tarkovsky, you like think, oh, he was like this old master who was like making these movies in his like seventies. And he's like this wise dude, but then you like look it up. Oh no, he like lived to fifty four. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. He was like, like it's just like so wild to me. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I'm just uh, a lot of like the, the I am very curious about a lot of the production stuff. I'm um, just because yeah, like the location, like did that have to do with their death? There's so much like main conspiracy theories about it. it, it it's so it's so wild to think about. Uh, okay, let's let's talk briefly about the switch to color, the the Wizard of Oz moment. What do you guys What do you guys think about this? Uh, I think it's the scene where they're all sitting there on the train, and it's just sort of lulling slower and slower, and just looking at their profiles is really, um, I guess, emblematic of the broader like way I feel about the movie as sort of as meditative, uh, Oren said hypnotic, just sort of like washing over you with feelings, and then all of a sudden, Bing, color, softness, stillness. Uh, how did you guys find this moment? Well, so I think it's interesting, um, you know, as we've kind of all touched on, like, you know, I've, I think we all have different, various different things that we take away at different points uh, in watching the film. But I found it interesting that Aaron was, you know, saying like, you know, uh, it maybe seemed obvious in retrospect how much the movie is about faith, uh, which to me, like, that that is like throughout uh the film it has always been very like a, a very big part of my takeaway from the film just because of my own background of being raised religious i'm sure um but like uh like clearly i think it's like no matter what your interpretation of like the greater meaning behind it like clearly the zone for the stalker like for most of the movie and so like the very end when I think the couple shots that are in color, I think are supposed to be from like monkey's perspective. Um, the, the, the rest of the movie is, I think you're supposed to be seen from the soccer's perspective. So when it like shifts to color, when he finally gets to the zone it's I think he literally, even in like the criterion subtitles, it says when they get there, he says, we're home. Like this is mm-hmm. a place of like solitude and sanctuary for him. And like, even, um, I think I noticed this time it's like when he, uh, when they first get there, he asks like the professor, I think, to like tie the the nuts with the little bandages or the the strips of uh, cloth, um, and he goes off on his own for a second and just like sits down in like this meadow and just like lays there for a little bit uh, and comes and back hugs the earth. Yeah, and like comes back and is like, uh, "Oh, sorry, thank you for doing that. Sorry, we had to, we just had to wait. It wasn't time to go in yet." And I was like. Was it or did you just need that like little like five minutes to yourself, which is like like fair. But like, uh, you know, I, I honestly like my read on it is like, he. I mean, they could have left right then. But he, he wanted to take that moment just for himself because like the the zone is where he feels at home. I mean, they the dialogue very blatantly. I mean, at the very beginning, his wife trying to plead with him to not go to the zone. He feels like compelled. He is like pulled supernaturally feels compelled to keep going to the zone he's been in prison for going to the zone obviously it's a very deadly proposition not only just going through the zone but even getting there as they're shot by the army and everything to even get there um so yeah to me clearly every time it is every time this ink switches to color is when the stalker feels most at peace and at home uh and there's even this the part later on after they all decide not to go into the room where it has that great shot of like where it's it starts in them and it starts pulling back and you see like the kind of big door frame and starts they start getting framed in and kind of boxed in similar to the beginning of the film and it shifts to sepia 
while the shot is still going, then shifts back as kind of, to me, I mean, we can get more in detail later if we want, but that's kind of where the shift in color shows the stalkers like starting to have his crisis of faith where he's no, no one is choosing to go into the room. The thing that the reason he is keeps taking on these people to go here and his, basically his whole reason for living. Um, so yeah, for, to me, that's always been my kind of read on the, the color swapping. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a really, uh, interesting interpretation to partly like at a high level, if you kind of see like Tarkovsky as somebody who's interested in, you know, like like a man of faith, interested in religion, like, you know, he's trying to escape like what is clearly like a totalitarian society, which could just be the Soviet Union. Yeah. And he's trying to move towards a place of faith. So you could potentially read it that way. It's also, um, um, not to interrupt you real quick, but just another thing. So another thing I found interesting on his other works when I was looking up a little bit on Andrei Rublev, which is obviously a very faith-based movie as well, um, literally did not get released for a very long time in Russia because the USSR was a uh, officially, uh, you know, uh, atheistic state. So like it literally, his film right. that like, you know, is three hours long. I mean, the like uh, the official theatrical release, I think is like 205 minutes. Like in some ways to people think it's like his, his magnum opus was just never even seen for quite some time because of its religious, uh, you know, themes and uh plot yeah yeah it's it's pretty fascinating kind of thinking about th thinking about that like kind of contradiction in his art that he is making these films as like a russian but you know he's working under a regime that you know isn't interested in any sort of faith-based discourse and I guess like another thing for me that changed the color, like just as like my interpretation, I kind of just also kind of see it as like, yeah, just people are encountering like this forbidden knowledge or this forbidden, um, this forbidden place that's going to potentially give them something. And it's, it's outside of whatever society that that was oppressing them, like outside of their purview, outside of, you know, their laws and, I like I used um <laughs> a shroom trip as as something like uh earlier but I know it's kind of a trite way to talk about art but it is kind of like thinking about it in terms of of you are kind of yeah having some sort of forbidden fruit and you are now experiencing this this world in a totally different way um so that's kind of my read on it how about you Aaron yeah i mean for me it's it's Again, because I didn't live Tarkovsky's life, it's hard for me to not see it as some sort of broader, whether intentional or otherwise, um, like way of looking at like he lived in the Soviet Union. Soviet Union was just like kind of destroying things. You look at like that. We talked about how bad the city looks before he leaves. Um, and and the, also during that time when this movie was made, you know, the Soviet Union was kind of at its worst in terms of economically. Um so it's hard not to see it like politically, even if I don't think he meant it that way. Like, I think it's like his, his subconscious sort of feelings about where he's living maybe seep into it. But um, I don't know. It, it's a very startling moment. And, and, I, and it's like because it's like the other famous example of that is like The Wizard of Oz, 
like I have to pause for a second and be like, did, did this work for me? And I'm like, yes, yes, this worked for me. Like, like just the whole sequence of them on the train going to color and then like using the color to be like, ah, this is where we're free or this is where magic lives or this is where people can sort of be themselves. And I love yeah. the shot of him just embracing the earth and the little, little worm or whatever on his finger. I kind of, I kind of see Tarkovsky as somebody who is looking at where society is headed and like what that society values, like, you know, secular, rational, you have to do this. You have to be a part of this. And like, he's, he just wants to like embrace the earth. He wants to embrace thing, like certain feelings and thoughts that those, that that society might not permit. Um, and I kind of see why, like a lot of people will compare him to like David Lynch or like Ingmar Bergman. Cause I think those filmmakers also kind of share that, right. They, they're kind of trying to look for something transcendent, something ineffable, um, in a world that does not seem to permit that or even actively oppress it. Um, whether that's the intention or not. I think there's also like, um, I think Aaron brought it up earlier. Like there is definitely something I think to the uh, nature and, you know, naturalism aspect of like, again, the, the city specifically is where it starts out and it's all sepia tone. And like, once you get to the zone, it's in color, it is like nature, but it's also specifically nature, like reclaiming bits, like parts of industry, you know, very, you know, mm. a post-apocalyptic, you know, last of us, whatever, whatever your touchstone wants to be of like, it is, it's not only that they are in nature, they are in an area where nature has reclaimed and like, not is not only has like destroyed, like the, you know, these places that where man has built up like industry, but has gone, has gone so far as is now, now even literally destroying physics, the physical realm itself. Yeah. Huh. That's fascinating. I didn't even think about that. I feel like I'm going to, when I watch it a third time, I'm going to be thinking about that the whole time now. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the idea of how, how he talks about how the zone is just like constantly changing and there's no permanence to anything. Um, and like, that would be cool if they could incorporate that in the video game. <laughs> Honestly, well, and he also even like, it's like draws in like the like impermanence of it as like a positive thing. Like the, the stalker has that monologue mm. where he's talking about how, you know, people are like, they're born and they're they're pliable and they can be changed and as they get older they get hardened and like stuck in mm. their ways basically um so there's definitely something to all that as well yeah um do you think that the stalker is a particularly good guide i love how he's always like you go first <laughs> he's like here make make my little trap detectors for me i'm gonna go i'm gonna go uh, play with an inchworm um that's the thing i i i, <laughs> I didn't have time i almost wanted to like go back and watch like this the very first scenes when they get there does he give a specific reason of like oh you all need to go first so i can like i have better like vision or no whatever. no he just says go first like yeah. like i think i think maybe in tarkovsky's mind it's it's like they're like they're always taking these little leaps of faith based on his guidance but um as i'm watching it it seemed a little comical to me that he's like he's like you go first and then he's like oh you could throw a nut if you want to it's like <laughs> what yeah, I do. I do think I'm like kind of like configuring these thoughts in real time here. There is definitely something like he like. So to me, clearly this like, uh, you know, they have uh, part of one of the the big 
the big back and forth all three of them have at like on the threshold of the room is like part of it is like uh one of the writers like oh like you're just like you just get off on this because you have uh, this is the place where you have authority and whatnot and mm-hmm. he's which is i think like is true but framed in a very negative light more than i think it actually like i think the like for the stalker it is like he does have authority but that's not why it's more of that just comes with the territory it is more of like it this is like it is like the epitome of the the, whatever the like infinity war meme of like uh i i lead others to a treasure i can never possess like the Mm -hmm. the leading people on this like pilgrimage is uh the thing for him um and i think like he also talks a lot about how like clearly and he's so he when he's so distraught when no one goes into the room and like after when they get back when his wife is like putting him into bed he's like just distraught at the like the lack of faith that people have now um and so i think for him that it is like a big like this journey the zone itself is like is like a test of faith like you you have to go in and you have to put your faith in that you know the next step you take you won't go flying off into the sky and you have to, you have to respect the zone. You have to treat it with reverence. Um, and I think, yeah, him like sending people out in front of him is like him testing them in a way to see, like he's using them as barometers to test the morality of mankind at the time. And that's why, like when they, they make it through the meat grinder, he is like, just like manically, like, uh, and like beside himself, like happy that, uh the writer makes it through uh i think partially and like i don't know if you all have any thoughts of like did he actually like make the matches like so that the writer definitely had to go first um like i think it's possible because i think also up to that like he is the most skeptical of the writer even being able to make it through this because he is the most cynical of all of them Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's one of those things i don't know that i have like a real firm idea of how i think about all of that but i i definitely think there is something to all of that hmm. Hmm. all right uh would you guys go into the zone it seems a little little haphazard that's to me, the thing just getting in there i was gonna i was gonna ask if you all would go into the room like you know but also oh, like man. i wouldn't even go to the zone <laughs> like right yeah i I might go in the zone. It depends the room... on. I, I would have to be really desperate to escape like the mindset and society I'm in. You know what I mean? Like if I'm in like a, a situation where I'm just like perpetually unhappy, not satisfied with the world, not satisfied with the fascism I live under or whatever. Like maybe I would be like, "Fuck it, I don't care if I get shot. I'm going for it." Like uh, so, really, but. At me right now in the world I live in, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. <laughs> but if you lived in that world, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, hmm. Uh, have you guys? Where do you see influences for this? I, I know this is not the first post-apocalyptic film, probably by a long shot. But I'm not aware of movies that that kind of fit that description prior to it, like that I can think of that I've seen. Do Do you guys? I'm sure there's know. stuff that like technically fits the bill, but I think as far no, as there the, is, there the is, like yeah. the visual representation, I mean, uh, I feel like this has got to be the origin point for a lot of stuff like that. I mean, like again, The Last of Us, 
like you know yeah. all sorts of like yeah post-apocalyptic dystopian where like you know nature is reclaiming also like specifically very like stark brutalist industrial concrete you know all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff this is i feel like this has got to be the origin point for a lot of that stuff yeah i'm trying to i'm kind of like scanning um yeah influence and legacy oh yeah chris marquere used his the concept of the zone in sans soleil which is a a great uh documentary um, hmm. like video it's like the og video essay hmm. um and he, that filmmaker did la jete which influenced ah, 12 monkeys yeah, yeah. so you kind of see the lineage a little bit and um <laughs> Jonathan Nolan, co-creator of Westworld, cites Stalker as an influence. I, I don't yeah, I, see it. Really I saw that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't. Okay, <laughs> hmm. I didn't see it. I definitely saw it in um, Annihilation. The Alex Garland. And that's a huge movie. one. I. That's even though one. the author was like, I mean, Alex Garland clearly did because there's like Tarkovsky shots of like water with like uh, the. You know the plants under the water just kind of waving and stuff. And don't they even call uh, it the zone yeah. in Annihilation? They do. They do. Yeah. yeah. I like, mean, when I saw that, I was like, "Whoa, this is Stalker." Um, but it's like Stalker with machine guns. Uh, oh, so like Stalker <laughs> the game. Like Stalker the game. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I see like the influence more subtly, and like, like I mean, like I talked about Robert Eggers. I feel like I get some some Tarkovsky vibes from his movies, and. Uh, Maybe like um, the director, uh, I can't pronounce his name, but he's from uh, Thailand. Uh, he directed Memoria, Epipachong, Where's the Lakul? I think I'm mispronouncing that. But he uh, he did, he's he's done like a lot of slow cinema movies like hmm. Syndromes in a Century, um, Memoria, um, Tropical Malady. And his style reminds me of Tarkovsky a lot. Um, but I don't know. He could not be influenced by him, but just the, the vibes, the vibes are real. Mm. There, there's um. also a, I played like a, I mean, I guess it's a tabletop is more of like a, a, what would you more of like a story based. It was like a tabletop game, but there's like no, literally no dice rolls is more like a, one of those story focused. Like uh, I think it was just called like the zone. Uh, it's like was like completely on like in browser, um, but it is like it was really fun to play. But it is like the most shameless like, just it's it's just annihilation and stalker, um, <laughs> uh, like literally you are progressing to a center point on the the digital board that is the center of the zone where you get a wish granted and everything like that. But um, I, yeah, this like this stuff goes 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 deep. <laughs> Uh, there's even it's I guess it's technically based on Roadside Picnic because I, I forget the I forget the name. There's even literally an anime that is like uh, based on Roadside Picnic. Oh really? Yeah, I think it's Other Side Picnic or something like that. Uh, is it good? I have no idea. I haven't watched it, but it's no. I've, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, I uh, mean, the Stalker games are are really quite fantastic. Um, they're they're both similar and very different obviously they have like a sort of survival horror slash military simulation like light military simulation thing going on but um a lot of the big themes and the sort of like like clearly the sort of visual style is is very similar it's like stock is very slow-paced game takes place in a very uh 
very well rendered version of the the city of Pripyat and the surrounding areas. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully that new Stalker game comes out this year. I hear the first one is uh, one of the top five horror games of all time. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Although I don't know, Amnesia the Bunker might knock it out, but it's uh, it's a spectacular horror game. Oh yeah, obviously uh, Metro obviously is another game that uh, huge mm-hmm. huge Stalker oh, vibes. Metro, yeah. Right. I think you even um, find a copy of Roadside Picnic in the game. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, another thing uh, I should mention that Stalker was voted the 43rd best film of all time on the Sight and Sound poll that came out last hmm. year. And um, some people who voted for it, Lynn Ramsey, who did uh, that uh, Joaquin Phoenix movie where he plays the hitman. Like you weren't. What, what was what's that one called? Uh, you were never really you there. Were, yeah, you were never really you there. Were, yeah, so she voted for it. I can see some stalker influence in some of her films. And hmm. uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, for a director of Drive, director of Copenhagen Cowboy, I could definitely see some stalker influence in his movies because he has he he's got he really loves like long takes that are really hypnotic. So mm-hmm. I can definitely see the influence with him. Isn't Lars von Trier a big uh, Tarkovsky guy? Uh, probably. Um, he, he did not vote for Stalker, though. Mm. Uh, I'd have to see what he would vote for, but... Because, uh, yeah, this poll polls, like, so many famous people, uh, so I'd have to take a look. You can see, see who voted for what? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. It, it, it's it's kind of a huge waste of time, because mm-hmm. you just get into, like, a hole looking at people's top ten list, but right. it's kind of fun. I think there's also, I don't who know has, if it's like direct influence, but you know, we said Malik earlier, there's at least a lot of over, oh, yeah. overlap in style. Um, yeah. Also like mm. some Scorsese. Like I know Scorsese is definitely at least a big fan of Tarkovsky. I think, I think he was part responsible for like the restoration of Andre Rublev, which uh, hmm. Andre Rublev also has like a literal, like it's broken down into chapters. One of them is called silence. And it's like, damn, I really want to go back and watch <laughs> Silence by Scorsese. Because I think out of all of his movies, that is probably one of the most Tarkovsky-esque, even at, at, at the very least of just the the length of the shots uh, and the takes and everything like that. And the more, obviously, about faith um, and more contemplative in nature, uh, at least in the more general sense. Hmm. I, th- I think generally speaking, like a lot of just filmmakers who aren't just making like who aren't working in the classic Hollywood format, like a lot, like a lot of international filmmakers that are trying something different. I think generally speaking, most of them are influenced by Tarkovsky. Yeah. He is like one of the Um, big, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of, you know, world cinema directors for sure. In between Bergman and Fellini. I don't even know if Fellini is Fellini really up there. I don't know. I feel like Godard really? would yeah, have yeah, more maybe. of a shot. I, I would have to take a look. I, I'm kind of, Kurosawa's well, also Ozu. You know what? There's a lot of contenders yeah. for the Mount Rushmore. This would Rushmore, be a, a whole other podcast that we don't need to do <laughs> right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, the best film, the f- best film of all time, is directed by Chantal Ackerman, according to this poll. So. Oh God! Next year, that won't even. Be, isn't that like kind of like a like a fuck you pick though? Like not to totally segue, uh, but like is it? I mean, it's a, a great, it's a great movie. I, yeah. I actually watched it um, like 
last year because it was the number one pick. And it's kind of interesting because it's like a Tarkovsky movie in the sense that it's like really, really long takes of just a woman kind of like living her life and doing her routine and her slow mental kind of collapse as that happens. And I don't know. It was really inspired. I don't know if I'll ever see it again because it's like four hours long, but right. it was interesting. Right. <laughs> we'll see if it maintains its spot. Yeah. You got it rated on the um, Tarkovsky uh, hmm. Apparently, uh, Mulholland Drive is a top 10 movie of all time. So there you go. Not according uh, to me, <laughs> but that's another story. Not according to me. <laughs> hmm. Um. Well, Bergman is still polling pretty high up there. Maybe it is Bergman. Maybe Bergman isn't. The, I don't know. Anyway, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> I just thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> a mm. portrait of a lady on fire. Okay, that is a ridiculous pick. That is number 30. That is the 30th best film of all time. Yeah, isn't that like five years old or less? That's like... Wow. That's like... I that is the most recency bias. I didn't know Orrin was so homophobic. Man. Oh, harsh. Oh, wow. Wow. This is where In this is Pride going. a Month, Orin? Oh, really? Oh, no. Or, cancel me, please. Mm. Mulholland Drive. That's one of my favorite movies. That's a lesbian love story. There you go. <laughs> Saved by Lynch. <laughs> uh, all right. Big picture. Orin, how, how do you feel about this movie? Uh, I think I already kind of gave my high level thoughts, but. Um, but honestly, talking to you guys about it has ma- makes me like it more because I love the whole idea that Drew kind of planted of um, looking at it as an allegory for people trying to find faith in a society that doesn't permit it. And I love the idea of nature kind of en- uh, encroaching over all of this decaying material to kind of symbolize like the transience of all of this stuff that we do on Earth and it, um, I feel like I've I already really appreciate admired the movie, but I'm actually more keen to revisit revisit it after talking with both of you about it. All right, cool. And, and do you recommend it? Oh yeah, I yeah. I don't recommend it to anyone. Yeah, you know, like if you're just a, if you're a person who values like storytelling in movies where it's like you know you have characters that you relate to with plot beats that are really discernible and you're engaged in it and you know what's going on i don't think stalker is for you but if you want something completely different that is trying to kind of explore cinema as a medium in a way that isn't just conforming to um a lot of the nuts and bolts that you associate with like classic hollywood filmmaking and prestige television I think Stalker is a, a great film to watch. Yeah, that's True. the thing of like, in my head, I understand and agree with y'all of the saying like, you know, obviously you can't recommend it to everyone, but in my heart, I feel like I do want to recommend it to everyone. Because like, I, I again, it's another like head versus heart thing of like, I definitely get where you're coming from, Orin, of like, it is clearly like, it's not a Hollywood movie. There's not where it has like a clear three act structure and like the all the has a lot of plot and everything in it but like i I mean obviously if you have any inclination towards art house cinema i think you need to give it a chance but even if you just like yeah are just curious i feel like you really need to just throw it on and at least see like if the first like 40 minutes you know probably even at the first like 25 minutes or whatever but if you if you get to the zone and it has not grabbed you 
you know, fair. It's maybe it's not for you. And it's clear it's not going to be for everyone. Obviously, there's going to be people. It's just like it's just, this is just not for me. But I feel like it is even if it sounds like it's outside your wheelhouse, I feel like it is at least definitely worth a try. Because, again, it is very much as try it is i hate saying this because it feels it feels like it's trying to like the city is like a character in the story but like it is like going on your own little journey through the zone which is why i find it like i feel like this needs to be one i revisit more often like once a year because like it's even if i don't necessarily i am sure i do and would get more things out of it the different things every time but it's almost like the the permanence of those things to take away like they kind of fade away with time and it is really just about taking that journey over and over again mm-hmm. um so yeah i i highly recommend it and again like i would at least say even if you don't think it's for you i think it's at least worth a try mm-hmm. yeah i agree I, I think anybody who is remotely uh, a quote-unquote cinemaphile or whatever should uh, ought to see it right like and and I think people who are a little more, you know, cinema curious should probably also see it. But I think you have to see this movie on a big screen with a with a clear print. If you can see it, like like it was showing at a at a theater near me not too long ago. But I live in Los Angeles, so those kind of things happen. But if if this is the kind of thing you could see at like a midnight movie, like everybody should go see that. Uh, if you can watch it on a really big projector or TV, like do that. Like it, it's not a movie you want to watch on your laptop. Like I, I think I think it's fun. Like not to be David Lynching, but like you will just not, it just won't work. Like you'll lose it. No watching it on an iPad on a plane. No, don't do that. Uh, But yeah, I think if you have the, the ability to watch this movie in a, in a venue that'll do it justice, I, I recommend pretty much everybody should watch it, but like be ready for a slow movie with no plot and, uh, almost no Hollywood grammar filmmaking, you know, like it's, it's like, it's its own thing, and I, and I love it for that. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like if you go in knowing with the right expectation of like knowing this is it is quote unquote slow cinema, as long as you have that proper framing, I think you will actually. I think that's the thing I'm trying to get. At. I think you would be surprised at how actually engaging and not quote unquote boring it is. Like it is again, like I said, this is like a two hour forty minute movie, and it like flies by for me every time, especially that like mm. I said that first forty minutes. So like. It is all those things on paper, but I don't think it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to hear a dumb Tim Rogers tweet about Stalker? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tim Rogers, you know, famous video essayist of video games. He uh, he responded back in 2020. Tell me your favorite moment, m- moment you ever experienced in a movie theater. Go. And Tim Rogers responded. Overnight Tarkovsky Marathon in a theater in Ikebukuro in 2008 in Japan. Ivan's Childhood, Solaris, Stalker Nostalgia. No subtitles, no stats, snacks or re-entry permitted. Loud rain on the roof. A hundred hard-boiled dudes chain-smoking in the dark. Like life was going out of style. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. I think I just like got like gray hair from listening to that. That's, <laughs> that is harrowing. Uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining him just like sitting there, no subtitles, just taking it all in. I love it. <laughs> Overnight, oh my that God. is truly endurance cinema. Mm. And also the chain smoking. So you're secondhand smoking all this smoke as you're watching it. <laughs> Brutal. 
anyway. <sighs> Shit, that, that's Tarkovsky. Uh, yeah, yeah, Stalker. No, it's Get good. Out of here, Stalker. It's good. It's good. Book's good too. You know, good book, good game. It's it's a good, it's a good media family. Yeah, and then you can play yeah like an awesome video game after you've done all this. Yeah, just become a part of the club. Become a become a stalker. Become a stalker. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I think that is going to close this one up. Uh, Drew, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for thanks for pitching this one. Thank you for having me as always. Oren, it's been fun. You sir are it free to go back to Diablo. I think I'm going to go get like a hot dog or something. Hot dog? Oh, dude. Yeah. Go to Portillo's. Get one of those uh, Polish. Oh, that sounds really good right now, actually. I might actually do that. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen. It's been fun. Uh, And uh, thanks for listening to our Stalker podcast. And uh, we'll be back soon with something else. Не так много, как бы мне хотелось. Ну, все равно, не в этом дело. Зачем они сюда шли? Чего они хотели? Скорее всего, счастье. Ну да, но какого именно счастья? Люди не любят говорить о сокровенном. И потом это не вас не касается, не меня. В любом случае, вам повезло. А я вот за всю жизнь не видел ни одного счастливого человека. А я тоже. Они возвращаются из комнаты, я веду их назад, и больше мы никогда не встречаемся. Ведь желания исполняются не мгновенно. А сами вы никогда не хотели этой комнаткой попользоваться? А мне и так хорошо. Профессор, послушайте, я вот все насчет покупного вдохновения. Положим, войду я в эту комнату и вернусь в наш богом забытый город гением. Вы следите? Но и человек пишет, потому что мучается, сомневается. Ему все время надо доказывать себе и окружающим, что он чего-нибудь достоит. А если я буду знать наверняка, что я гений, зачем мне писать тогда? Какого рожна? 
Вообще-то, я должен сказать, существуем мы для того, чтобы... Сделайте любезность, но оставьте вы меня в покое. Ну, дайте мне хоть подремать немного. Я же не спал сегодня всю ночь. Оставьте свои комплексы при себе. Во всяком случае, вся эта ваша технология, все эти домны, колеса и прочее, мы это суета, чтобы меньше работать и больше жрать. Все это костыли и протезы. А человечество существует для того, чтобы создавать произведение искусства. Это, во всяком случае, бескорыстно, в отличие от всех других человеческих действий. Великие иллюзии, образы абсолютной истины. Вы меня слушаете, профессор? О каком бескорыстии вы говорите? Люди еще с голоду мрут. Вы что, с луны свалились? И это наши мозговые аристократы. Вы же абстрактно мыслить не умеете. Уж не собираетесь ли вы учить меня смыслу жизни и мыслить заодно? Бесполезно. Вы хоть и профессор, а темный. 